Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us for the very first episode of Thank Godzilla, It's Friday, a podcast where we review every Godzilla movie on Friday. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic for The Wrap, and everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I am, uh, I, I'm a critic. I write for Slash Film. Um, I've seen these Godzilla movies. You sure have, Whitney. I've, I've, uh, I've seen them all. I've seen alternate cuts and different versions uh, several years back, I made a conscious effort to watch all of the Godzilla films over the course of a single summer, and I did it, and it was a very rewarding experience. So this is going to be a, sort of an echo, a, a, a grand revisitation for me to, to look back over some of these movies. Uh, yeah, so we have a thing we do at the Critically Claimed Network, and especially at our Patreon, where we like to do a deep dive and cover all of something and some of these projects are very very long we're doing a podcast in there we're reviewing every single film ever nominated for best picture and we're chugging along but that's going to take a few years to get through uh we have an episode uh, podcast we review every single episode of star trek in order that will take us many years but we're also chugging along and we're pretty far into it um godzilla is a very long franchise especially if you consider all the ancillary tie-ins uh, but even just the main Godzilla movies, it's it's arguably the longest still ongoing series uh, that we've got. And I've only seen some of it. I've seen maybe a third of the movies, and that's probably being generous. It is an exciting opportunity for me uh, to explore and finally like become more well-versed in this gigantic part of popular culture and i get to share in something that whitney is incredibly enthusiastic about because if you listen to our various podcasts you know that there is an excellent chance if we're not talking about star trek we will find a way to talk about godzilla (laughs) so Uh, every single episode of this will be dedicated to a different godzilla movie we're not going to do the tv shows we have to draw the line somewhere and there's a there's a lot of tv shows too there's there's uh the old Rankin Bass cartoon. Yeah, I was about to say I really don't want to watch the 1970s Godzilla cartoon. It's not. It's not good. It's not good. It's It's about as good as the King Kong show. Yeah, uh, Godzuki is Godzuki is like the Scrappy Doo of the Godzilla universe. Uh, We we don't need Godzuki in our lives. Um, We'll have enough of Godzuki just in the movies ahead of us to to last us a lifetime. Well, there's there's. Luckily, Godzuki never shows up in any of the movies. It's just that uh, TV show. Well, he, we've got Minya, and that's close enough. Yeah, but, Minya, uh, aka Minila, the the son of Godzilla. Yeah, um, yeah. There, there is one Godzilla movie, and we'll get to it in due course, where Minila, Godzilla's son, talks. Like, yeah. it's it's a dream sequence, and a a young boy imagines he's the same size as Minila, and the two of them just sort of watch Godzilla and another monster fight from like a human perspective. The movie's like that one is actually is it's called um uh is that all monsters attack that's all monsters attack it's not destroy all yeah. monsters it's all monsters yeah. attack and all monsters attack is is pretty horrible um yeah they're, they're some not of these all movies winners. aren't yeah some of these movies aren't good um some of them are quite good most of them tap into this strangely deep almost Jungian repository of just childhood destruction mm. that I think most of humanity possesses. The desire that, to build a sandcastle and then wreck the sandcastle. And then stomp on it. You yeah. you can, as a young child, 
can project yourself into Godzilla or into Mothra or into Rodan, any of these gigantic monsters, and pretend you are a force of destruction. But it's all in a very harmless kind of way. Um, apart from the very first movie, which we're going to talk about today, the movies are tend to be pretty... Maybe upbeat is the wrong word, but they, they maybe, tend to maybe be... Maybe light? Yeah, light sort of matinee entertainments rather than something heady or serious. Yeah. Uh, the first movie is heady and serious. Uh, and we'll get to it in a minute. Yeah. We'll get, well, I want to get to that in a minute. I just want to, before we, before we move on, I just want to say, um, uh, so the other thing that we're doing with this show, because this show will be airing every Friday, mm. uh, is if you are a patron, you're going to get next week's show a week early. Which is to yes. say, by the time this episode is live on the main feed... It will have been live on our Patreon page for one week, and next week's episode of Thank Godzilla It's Friday will already be available. So that's even just for one dollar a month, you get our shows ad free, and you're going to get next week's Thanks Godzilla It's Friday a week early. Yeah. Uh, so that's just the plan. That's uh, our, our gift to you, our treat. Uh, a thank you to all of our patrons for uh, for this was originally going to be a Patreon exclusive show, and then we thought, no, this is too much fun. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so we're going to be doing all the Godzilla movies We're going to be doing any Godzilla-adjacent movie That eventually ties directly into Godzilla So for example, we'll be doing the Mothra movies We'll be doing the original Rodan uh, mm -hmm. We will not be doing any of the Gamera movies He never crossed over with Godzilla, that does not count This is not just a kaiju podcast well, This is Godzilla um... and Godzilla's close friends uh, Gamera is, uh, from what I understand, is not um, not a Toho not production. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Godzilla was put out by the the Japanese studio Toho. Uh, Gamera was put out by what? What was it? It was. Was it Dai? Um, I think it was Dai. Uh, yeah. Did did? Yeah, it was Dai. Did uh, Gamera, yeah. and w most people, at least you know, like. Our age uh, probably know Gamera from Mystery Science Theater. Uh, the Gamera movies are actually legit. They're they're just they're as very fun popular. as the Godzilla movies. Um, yeah, the versions you would see on Mystery Science Theater were, of course, like shortened versions or dubbed versions that were a little cornier. But you actually watch the full versions in widescreen with some nice uh, uh, brushing up. Uh, Arrow Video, a really wonderful boutique deep, uh, Blu-ray house, put out like some uh, Gamera box sets. If you see them in that like that they're they're going to be really good movies they're actually really enjoyable well, i mean as enjoyable as some of these silly kaiju movies are uh so yeah l let's not try to start a rivalry between godzilla no. and gamera i think I they're both legit i just want to make sure because i think some people are who are sort of casual fans of these kinds of movies or mm -hmm. are only just getting into these kinds of movies might not realize that they're separate yeah. So even though we're going to be covering some other kaiju movies it's only the kaiju movies that are directly related to godzilla uh, and definitely part of Godzilla's universe. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be doing Godzilla throughout all the ages. We're going to be doing the American Godzillas. When we get to it, we're going to be going in chronological order. Um, and um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and I really want to uh, be able to uh, not just enjoy watching these silly movies, but also to really dig in and appreciate them as real cinema. So, and I think the first Godzilla movie... Which I, many have argued is the best, or at least one of the best. Uh, uh -huh. It was a film that, thanks largely to the re-edited version, which we'll talk about separately in a different show, uh, 
was the film that broke Godzilla out in America and really, really, really made an impact. Godzilla became the king of the monsters. But uh, the original film was called Gojira. Whitney, tell us a little bit about Gojira. Well, um, the Godzilla, you know, as, as we say in the United States, is, of course, um, a, a boldlerization. It's uh, Gojira is actually the, the correct pronunciation, and it's a portmanteau of two Japanese words. Uh, it's Gorira, which is the, the Japanese word for gorilla, and Kujira, which is the Japanese word for whale. So it's, it's a portmanteau of gorilla whale. And uh, hence why we, we like to call Godzilla our, our favorite gorilla whale. Um, so Godzilla is not uh, necessarily a reptile or a dinosaur. It's it's like a sea creature. It's like a, a humanoid lizard shaped. I like to think it's like a shark. I think if you were to touch Godzilla, it'd <laughs> feel like be rough, like a shark skin. Um, yeah, Godzilla had a couple of different permutations. You know, when they came up with it, it didn't come in fully formed. There was a, a version they had considered where Godzilla would have been more like an octopus, and yeah, that didn't yeah. happen. Uh, there was a version apparently where uh, they they quickly decided th- there was originally they uh, uh, partly inspired by this American film with special effects by the great Ray Harryhausen called The Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms. Yes, uh, which is v- similar in some respects to the original Godzilla in that it is about a creature that is uh, born from the atomic age, an atomic blast, or in the case of Godzilla, hydrogen blast is what frees it from its aquatic. Uh, a prison and it runs amok uh, and the US forces have to team up with scientists in order to figure out how to stop this thing after a period of mystery in which nobody knows uh, what it is or what it looks like uh, there's a couple of major differences uh, Beast of 20,000 Fathoms isn't really about as much as God's, uh, as Gojira because Gojira actually mm-hmm. has a lot of salient uh, post World War II themes Uh also, Beast of 20,000 Fathoms, the creature was created in stop motion, uh, which was considered for Godzilla, but based on the resources they had at the time, they decided that that was not a very effective use of their budget. And so they ended up moving uh, in the direction of putting a guy in a big rubber suit and creating a whole bunch of miniatures. Uh, there are some other more complicated visual effects. But the basic gist was we're going to create this thing in camera. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and of course um, the main the main thing is that God, Gojira isn't just uh, a dinosaur. He's not a yeah. real dinosaur. In fact, he is created to not just from atomic energy, but he is created to represent atomic energy. And uh, in the research I was doing, apparently there was an early uh, a suggestion that his head would even look like a mushroom cloud. Which I can't uh, quite glad, picture. Yeah. That's a weird look. Well, um, there, there is um, what is the name? There's a kaiju film about a giant mushroom that I think they probably. Uh, oh, I don't know that one. I'm just gonna look up the phrase kaiju mushroom. Uh, yeah, <laughs> M- yeah Matango. Uh, Matango is is the movie. Uh, was that a kaiju movie? I thought there was just like an evil mushroom movie. Uh, the, well, just look up what the monsters from the movie Matango looks like. It's it's also Ishiro okay. Honda uh, who who directed this first Godzilla movie. Um, so yeah, that's probably what they were looking at. These kind of mushroom shaped heads. I mean, it's giant for a mushroom. 
I mean, it's a, it's a really big, it's not like, it's not like, you know, the size of a skyscraper, but those are some pretty big mushrooms. I'll grant you that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad they didn't go with that. Uh, Cause I, I think just sort of making uh, Godzilla into something a little bit more recognizably animal makes it mm. uh, just seem a little, I don't want to say plausible because there's nothing plausible about any of this, but uh, <laughs> makes it, makes it feel uh, a little bit more like something more that re- should exist. Yeah, like well, just relatable, I suppose. Recognizable—that's yeah. maybe the word yeah. I'm looking for. And he feels um, like a, it feels like a fun composite of a bunch of different dinosaurs. Obviously, he's got yeah. this uh, two-legged, short, four-armed T-Rex yeah. kind of vibe, but his overall size is far more like a Brachiosaurus. But yeah, then he's he also right, yeah, which yeah, is, but, you know, has the big dragging tail. But then he also has the Stegosaurus spikes mm-hmm. on his back, and he had those even from the beginning. So it just feels like we're just kind of just picking and choosing our favorite dinosaurs and just throwing well, them in, in a blender. And then he's also a dragon because he breeds fire, uh, yeah. n- nuclear fire throughout the movies. And in some of the later movies, he'll start like to barf out radioactive laser beams. So, um, but yeah, there's it, Godzilla is this sort of yeah this fa- fantastical composite of a lot of things that exist. Hence why it. I think that might have been why Godzilla sort of took off because of that recognizability. Mm. And, and also, you know, people hadn't really seen anything like that, a monster of that size in a movie. There were plenty of giant monster movies throughout the 1950s mm-hmm. in Japan and, before, and in the United States. And before uh, we had the, we, we had dinosaur movies in the, in the twenties. Yeah. We had King Kong well, in the early thirties. We had, uh, we had King Kong. King Kong is a, a racist metaphor. <laughs> It's there, there's mm. no two, no ways of splitting that. Mm. Uh, a it's lot about, of it's movies... about a film crew that goes on to get like a safari picture, uh, finds uh, 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 some someone they want to study, and then they shackle them and bring them back, and they get upset mm. when they break free. It's really kind of yeah. messed up. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, yeah. Uh, and when you look for the dinosaur movies, those are just sort of an outcropping of a very popular subgenre that d- doesn't really exist anymore. Of uh, the brave colonialist conquering some faraway land. Uh, so that also has some pretty uh, problematic underpinnings. When you got to the 1950s, however, the monsters changed. You're still yeah. giant monsters, but the idea was uh, a lot of these things were mutated by radiation. Uh, throughout the 50s and 60s, radiation was the go-to villain for everything. It's it was just what an gave... excuse for anything to happen. You know, it was well, like every was, time we come up with like a new science, we decide mm-hmm. that like, oh, okay, so we've come up with CRISPR. Okay, well, CRISPR is the reason why. Oh, we've have we have we figured out the human genome? Okay, well, we just turns out that's why there are monsters now. There's always every mm-hmm. time there's a new scientific discovery, Hollywood tries to find a way to turn it into a horror story. Exactly, and I think that represents yeah. a lot of our our fears and lack of knowledge about certain scientific progresses. It also is you know can kind of stand as a cautionary tale. Well, we've learned how to do this, but have we considered all the possibilities? Maybe we can make monsters. Um, I, uh, but yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of these monster movies in the 1950s. A lot of them are really cheap. Uh, mm. A lot of them I've seen on Mystery Science Theater. Uh, what was the one with the Peter Graves and the crickets? Was it called Beginning of the End? The Beginning uh, of the End was, uh, was about giant locusts. Locusts, they had mutated crickets, giant yeah. locusts, and they were, and that one's fun because they obviously they're just using a lot of close-up shots of locusts, and they're like and they're, projecting they it on outside a, of windows. 
and and also there's yeah they they did a lot of like uh, rear screen projection to to achieve the effect in one one of the shots in the beginning of the end they just put the locusts on a postcard like a photograph yeah. of a building and they filmed it to from make above. It look like <laughs> uh, and you know what for a second it works for for, for a they, split second they stayed on a little too works. long but they almost did it yeah. yeah. No, we had uh, them, which was about giant ants. That's a classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, one uh, of my I've favorites. The, the Deadly Mantis was one I've, I'm kind of fond of. I've actually never seen the Deadly Mantis. The one I'm really mm-hmm. fond of is Bert I. Gordon's The Amazing Colossal Man. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. was about a scientist who's experimenting with a new kind of uh, atomic bomb. Uh, and then, like, a guy wanders into. Uh, the field where they're going to test it, the scientist pushes him out of the way. He absorbs all of this radiation, and it turns him into this giant, kind of hulking creature who gets really like melancholy and doesn't mm-hmm. like being a monster. But he's also prone to fits of rage, and sometimes he'll like, you know, like anger out or like Hulk out and like <laughs> go on a on a on a massive like just Hulk bender. <laughs> Hulk, yeah, Hulk, he's the Hulk. But here's the thing. That movie came out before the Hulk. And, yeah, well, a, a lot of those comics that, uh, you know, Stan Lee yeah. uh, also used radiation all the time. A lot. He, he, a, yeah. a lot of that stuff was just in, a, uh, the Marvel comics was just an outcropping of these B-movies from the 50s that were popular at the time and that Stan Lee had most certainly watched. Right. But so the, the, the is, Hulk yeah. uh, was also radiation. Uh, Spider-Man was also radiation. It's interesting, though, because it, uh, those movies are, are mostly American movies. And America's relationship uh, to nuclear power, to radiation, and to the bomb uh, is very different oh, yeah. than the relationship that Japan would have with it. You know, we were concerned about nuclear power plants, and we were very excited to have our microwaves. And in Japan, America dropped two nuclear bombs on that country mm-hmm. at the end of World War II, and it was absolutely horrifying. And, and it, it, it that left a, a huge mark on the country, on the world, mm-hmm. and on the and on that culture. And Go, Gojira is actually not just a metaphor for that, but also a kind of a complex conversation about it and, <laughs> and an exploration of that emotional aftermath. Because a lot of the characters mm-hmm. respond to the devastation of Go, of uh, Gojira. Uh, it's not fun. It's not like, ooh, neat, yeah, what a well, monster. Or, oh, how exciting, we get to kill a monster. It's like, this makes me really sad. Yeah, and I, I think um, a lot of Americans uh, didn't really understand what a nuclear bomb was or what it did. Uh, this is why you'll see a lot, a lot of those old safety videos from or safety classroom films yeah. from the 1950s where uh, they say if a nuclear bomb goes off, you'll see a big flash. And then uh, the, the popular hide uh, under your wisdom desk. Was, yeah, was duck and cover. Hide under your desk. It was, to a lot of people at the time, they thought it was just like more TNT. It was that mm. kind of an explosion. They didn't realize what a nuclear explosion was and what the radiation was and what fallout was at the time. None of this stuff was really reading. And in fact, I think a lot of the scientists who even developed the bomb, who did know what they were doing, still didn't realize the extent of the destruction, despite all you know, of the tests. We did have and, some uh, films that, that encountered, that, that tried to talk about that. There's a really great mm-hmm. film called On the Beach, uh, which is about, there is, uh, you know, our, our worst fears, fears realized, uh, nuclear bombs strike all over the planet, 
And the only place that wasn't hit hard was Australia. And now everyone in Australia is just waiting for the cloud of radioactive gases to reach them. And it's yeah. only a matter of time. And it's just them waiting for the inevitable. And it's really depressing. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, I feel like um, the long-term effects of radiation uh, weren't really felt for a while. Because uh, uh, the, uh, the events that inspired Godzilla actually weren't uh, the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, mm. There was actually, uh, let's see, that what, what was the exact day? It was in August 6th, 1945? It was in 1945. It was in early August 1945 when, and, uh, when America dropped the bombs on, uh, on mm-hmm. Japan. And then America continued to tinker with atomic bombs and hydrogen bombs. Mm-hmm. And it, there was a, a testing facility at the Bikini Atoll in the South Pacific. In 1954, and in March 1st, in 1954. 1954. Yeah. yeah, so, uh, and because of that, a lot of the local uh, flora and fauna in the ocean were irradiated, and the radiation drifted over and actually uh, made, a, there was a famous fishing vessel, um, it was called Lucky Dragon Number no. 5, I forgot the Japanese name. Uh, uh, I'm gonna, I uh, hope I get this right, it's uh, Daigo Fukirio uh, Maru. Fuku Ryu Maru, yeah. Um, Thank you, you've been studying uh, Japanese. You, you've been actually studying Japanese as a language. A, a little, well, a duolingo, yeah. however much that counts. Um, uh, more than I have. But yeah, there was, there was a, a bomb testing, and some of local sailors really, really got sick, and a lot of the uh, local uh, sea life was irradiated. And it was that event that inspired uh, something like Godzilla, that uh, the radiation the fallout from this bomb, the aftermath of the bomb, the thing that we didn't think of is going to have consequences. Uh, So, And and indeed the opening of the movie is mm -hmm. basically that, except instead of the uh, nuclear uh, radiation, uh, it is an actual attack from Godzilla, who we don't see for a long time in this movie. This, no, this, and that's, this that's left good to our monster, imagination for yeah. a while. Yeah. That's good monster filmmaking. Um, yeah. You'll find, uh, as we go through all of these Godzilla movies, that they they start to adhere to a pretty strict pattern where the first 30 minutes, they're all 90 minutes, and the first mm-hmm. 30 minutes is all set up. It's, you know, poor human tent drama. and the, the humans yeah. set, you know, we set up the human characters and also there's like something lurking, something destructive is coming. And then at the 30 minute mark, that's when Godzilla shows up. And the Godzilla does a little bit of destruction. And then at the... Uh, 60 minute mark that's when the rival monster and godzilla finally meet up and they they have it out and the last 30 minutes is just you know monster action it's um, a winning formula there's no reason to change it but it hadn't been developed they've, yet. they've done it 30 sometimes now so yeah. so they, they could have done uh uh you know there's a lot of different ways they could have framed this but this really does feel like a precursor to what kind of the natural disaster movie would evolve into. And it's very easy to see a young, like a younger Irwin Allen watching this movie and taking a lot of notes. Yeah. Um, well, so it opens. Irwin Allen was already active at this point. Um, I realized that I, I, as I was saying that I realized he probably was already active at the time, but yeah. still uh, the kind of disaster movies that he turned into <laughs> huge hits in the, mm. uh, mostly in the seventies um, also follow the framework of Gojira where, we're going to be introduced to an ensemble cast of characters. Not a lot of characters in Gojira, but they, they're spread out. 
Um, and there's inklings of threat. Mm-hmm. And it might be environmental, it might be man-made, but it's going to lead to a series of action sequences. Experts are going to be called in and asked for their opinion, and they're going to hypothesize about it. Um, there's going to be... Uh, a lot of people in the government worried about how to handle this. We're going to see a lot of very important meetings. And a lot of the general vibe is, what if this actually happened? How mm. would the government respond? So there's yeah, a disaster um, with a fishing vessel. They send in more more ships to investigate. Those ships are also destroyed. And now the government is starting to panic a little bit and saying, what do we do? How do we stop this? And gradually... Uh, as they start uh, uh, doing more research and, and investigating further, they find like a fishing village where there is actually an old legend of a sea monster called Gojira, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's it, it's in a very uh, King Kong kind of way too because the idea is this is a very ancient creature. This has happened before. And previously, when this has happened, what we would do is we would have a ceremonial dance, which is not unlike the opening of King Kong, or like the, the bit in King Kong, just before King Kong shows up, rather. And we would appease the, the sea monster with a human sacrifice, which is also something that kind of happens in King Kong, or at least is attempted. Um, it's unclear whether that is entirely just a story, or whether that old sort of, you know, fishing legend relates to some incarnation of Godzilla because they do say in this movie that Godzilla is an ancient creature who was awoken and kind of super-powered by the Mm -hmm. hydrogen bomb and not just, like, mutated out of nothing because of it. Yeah, and, uh, of course, as the series has gone on, more and more more and more time has been... uh, allowed to fans to think about where Godzilla come from or its actual origins. And uh, in one of the later movies, they'll start to say, oh, well, we went back in time and we set off a certain kind of nuclear bomb and mutated an actual Tyrannosaurus who is still alive on this island somewhere, and that's what Godzilla is. Oh, that makes sense. See, that's just Uh, science. uh, Yeah. um, One of the more enjoyable things about the Godzilla movies, even this first one, is that the science is complete hooey. Uh, None of this makes any actual sense, which is why so many people like to go back to Godzilla as a metaphor. Uh, And Godzilla is a very versatile metaphor, although the the most commonly accepted interpretation is that Godzilla is the result of nuclear fallout, as it is in this first movie. It's the literal story. Yeah, it's Uh, said aloud, yeah. as, As the films go on, that sort of falls away a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, as we sort of, as more and more history begins to, f- you know, accumulate after the nuclear bombs, uh, Godzilla starts to take on different qualities. Uh, a, a friend of mine once wrote a very uh, salient essay about how Godzilla is a little bit more of a, a metaphor for an immigrant experience, mm. and how uh, you know Godzilla is sort of seen as this very uh, destructive force that a lot of people fear. But at the same time, uh, as the movies go on, becomes this very valued member of society and indeed is like the ultimate protector of of Japan. Yeah, uh, he's accepted. You know? he's, he's accepted he's and, he even, yeah. and he even becomes, uh, I, the way I like to put it is he becomes Japan's bouncer. Uh, all, all these you know, ruffians <laughs> and mo- these ruffians and monsters are constantly trying to break into the club that is Japan. And Godzilla's like standing there at the door with his arm crossed saying, no, you don't get to come in. 
<laughs> your, your name's not on the list, King Ghidorah. Get out of here. You know, we're, we're going to get to those later movies, but what I appreciate mm. a lot about this original film mm-hmm. uh, is that, you know, it is the, the clear metaphor, uh, God, uh, Godzilla is uh, a stand-in for the devastation of an atomic blast. However, um, I, what I find is really interesting is that when you actually delve into the story, which is not incredibly complicated, but has more depth than some people might expect, um, I think they're having a more complicated conversation than that because Gojira is a force of nature. He's not man... He might be man-made, but he's not directed at anything. He's just a beast yeah. wandering in from the ocean. He has and, no malevolent motivation. He's just extremely dangerous. Uh, and what happens is in order to stop Gojira, although there's there's two schools of thought. One, uh, a scientist who believes uh, that Gojira should be studied because if a hydrogen bomb can't kill Gojira, in fact, makes him more powerful, that means that our fears of nuclear energy and all of the disaster that befell uh, because of atomic bombs, uh, that there might be a solution to that. There might be a way to survive it. There might be a way to learn from Gojira and Mm. make humanity and the whole world better. However, in the meantime, he is wrecking stuff. And so most people, at at least out of practicality, are concerning themselves with how do we kill uh, kill Gojira? I keep wanting to call him Godzilla. But you can say God. This I, th- one, I think I think you it's can a little say it interchangeably. People under, understand. Yeah, I, I do appreciate of of all the boulderizations. I think Godzilla has a certain kind of romance to it. Like you put the word God in there, <laughs> it just makes it, it it it's it makes him feel just so powerful. Um, but uh, in any case, the solution uh, comes because uh, uh, I think it's a relative of that scientist who wants to study Godzilla has actually created in their own research rather by accident a weapon of mass destruction mm-hmm. and they have been studying it in secret and refusing to let anyone see their research they only let um is it is it his sister i believe um he only has one person know about it and mm-hmm. she spills the beans when she becomes concerned that there's just no other way to stop Gojira. um uh, what's his name? Uh, Sarazawa is the the character's mm. name. Yeah, so and Sarazawa is he 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 lost an eye, I think, in the war. Everyone in this movie has been directly or indirectly uh, uh, touched by the devastation of World War Two. There's even this an interesting bit with just some kind of random characters on a bus, and they're talking about you know ah oh, this all these mysterious Gojira, you know, all this destruction. I don't know if I believe in a Gojira. All I know is I barely escaped Nagasaki. Like, this is just a thing. It has affected everyone in the country. Everyone is traumatized by this. And this guy who has discovered another means of mass destruction, a new kind of... It's not an atomic bomb. He calls it an oxygen destroyer. And it destroys all the oxygen in an area, and it can basically uh, kill everything in, like, a huge part of the ocean. And just like yeah, nuke it it. It, 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 it causes anything that relies on oxygen, any sea or land creatures, to just asphyxiate immediately. They just can't breathe. Yeah, yeah. And all the oxygen in the body just turns into like a kind of liquid, and it's it sounds really horrifying. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene where he, in order to show that it works, he, he uses it, it on a, a tank of fish. Yeah, on a tank of fish, and we don't see what happens. 
But we see this young woman respond in absolute horror to what's happening to to fish. Now, I mean, yeah, that would be freaky, but it's a, a level of grotesquerie, apparently, that she can't handle at all. And when she decides to spill the beans, this guy has been developing a, a, something we can use to destroy Godzilla, who does seem to be amphibian. Um, now it becomes the question, when is it okay to use a weapon of mass destruction? Yeah. When, when, when would Japan decide that this was all right? Yeah. And, is there and ever a moment? And that's a very complicated moral quandary, uh, especially I, when you consider yeah. what Japan has went through. It's, uh, and the film uh, is never positive about it. No. Uh, th- they do decide to use the oxygen destroyer at the conclusion of this movie, and they, they use it to disintegrate Godzilla. Uh, mm. But it's not a triumph. There's no. nothing victorious about it. Everything about the climax of this film is sad. Uh, the fact that they had to use this weapon of mass destruction uh, was a loss unto itself. Uh, and they say immediately, it's like, we used it. When are we going to misuse it? Uh, it it's, it's kind of well, an I... odd note for uh, the Godzilla series to take in light of what the series was to become. Yeah. Uh, uh, and at the same time, it's it's not fun. Uh, this movie no, is really this is a, this is a horror movie. It, it's a horror movie, and it, it's well more than that. It's a tragedy. It's a yeah. tragedy of how. Uh, it, it's a tragedy of essentially a nation selling out for military power. Uh, you'll note that this movie and some of the other films uh, in the whole Godzilla series are very much about bureaucracy. They're about organizing and trying to react to a natural disaster. Um, it's especially true in Shin Godzilla, uh, the, yeah. the most recent Japanese Godzilla movie, uh, where it's almost comedic after a while when we see like uh, teams and spates of like officials and office workers sort of gathering to discuss the Godzilla problem as this new creature sort of stumbles up out of the oceans. And they're constantly uh, passing it off and to like yeah. different groups. Like, I don't want to touch it, but this other... You know, and there's and and yeah. it flashes by really quick, and I, I don't read Japanese that quickly, so I don't know what a lot of it is saying. But there is one scene where they sort of cut into a room, and it's just full of people, and the screen just fills with text. It's just, it, and it only flashes for a little bit, so you it's, it's clearly not to be completely read. The idea being, uh, the bureau it's almost like an Ikiru thing. The bureaucracy mm. is so labyrinthine that they're almost stymied from tackling an actual disaster. And I think Shin Godzilla in particular is about uh, the Fukushima disaster, but right. uh, that, getting way yeah, ahead of ourselves. Very, but this, well, it's, this kind of, first... it's very much a spiritual re it's not just like a remake. It's a spiritual remake because it's basically saying we're going to take Godzilla, which was originally uh, conceived as a metaphor for a disaster of a particular era. And we're mm-hmm. going to reimagine it around a more recent disaster in order to frame it in a more believable modern context. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah. uh, and I think this first movie is very much about that. It's about the bureaucracy. There's a lot of discussion as to what needs to be done. There's a lot of discussion of the ethics of what needs to be done. Uh, the idea of mobilizing military power it throughout this movie is seen as sort of a negative thing. It's uh, you know, the, the, the military also destroys uh, Godzilla destroys a lot. The military destroys a lot, and all of the characters are are concerned that 
they're losing their souls in this battle. Yeah. Uh, now, this is Godzilla. It's not as adult as our description makes it sound. A lot of the appeal of this movie does have just sort of that cheap B-movie appeal, which is this weird kind of alchemy with the first Godzilla movie, and that it's able to be this downbeat and this dour, and yet still possess a lot of that... uh, very uh, lizard brain kind of thrill of just watching a giant monster wreck shit. Well, there's 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 an irony to it, really, because the fundamental image we're, we're used to it now, and this mm. happens a lot with uh, new ideas in horror, in particular, where uh, we've come up with a new idea for a monster, and initially that monster is very horrifying. But the more often you see it, it might still be an impressive design. It might still be able to scare you or give little kids nightmares, but after a while it becomes a little cuddly and now we're mm. at a point where like even something like that completely blew a lot of people's minds when it came out like uh, Ridley Scott's Alien and all of its incredibly weird and sexual creature designs from H.R. Giger now you can get those creatures as plushies yeah so yeah. we get kind of used to it but like when there's this weird God Gojira is impressive in this version uh they hadn't, I think, nailed all the sound effects yet, and I think that there is definitely more that could be done to sell like some of his footfalls, like just how massively enormous that he is. There are scenes that play in a surprising amount of silence, given the enormity of Godzilla and the destruction that is being wrought. Um, but generally speaking, we're impressed by the scale of this movie and the scale of the destruction uh, and it's also a guy in a reptile suit breaking mm-hmm. miniatures. And there is something, even if we're in so invested in the movie, and I think we are, we're so invested in the movie that we genuinely care, there is a bit of a disconnect where it's kind of fun to watch this destruction because it's kind of absurd. It's a giant monster doing this. Yeah. But then when we cut down to like the street and we see... We, we intercut it with actual human beings and there's this incredibly harrowing shot of like uh, a mom and her two little kids and there's devastation all around them and she's saying to her kids in an attempt to kind of comfort them, we're going to see daddy soon and the implication is that their father is, is dead, either killed by mm-hmm. Gojira or killed in a earlier thing. Um, that's not fun. That's genuinely sad. That's reminding us that even if this imagery might be exciting, if it actually happened, it would be the worst thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. And that's a balance that a lot of future films aren't going to try to strike because we get kind of used to Godzilla. And as you said, he becomes more of a heroic figure as he starts not just fighting monsters, but fighting monsters who are clearly more actively malevolent than Godzilla ever was. Um. Uh, I'm a little bit ambivalent about sort of the the overwhelming sadness of this first movie uh, because I think it does clash a little bit with uh, its intended thrills. Mm. Uh, It's meant to sort of be exciting and we're supposed to be excited by the destruction, but at the same time, we're supposed to be put off by it. I think um, Ishido Honda didn't quite nail that until later movies Mm. um, when he kind of started to realize, wait a minute, 
Godzilla is actually a, a character. In this first movie, Godzilla is not a character. Right, he's a uh, in, Shin, in Shin Godzilla, uh, Godzilla is not a character. It doesn't have personality. Uh, and indeed, you might be able to, if you want to start getting a, to be a stickler for like continuity, uh, this Godzilla dies and is replaced by a different Godzilla that has more mm-hmm. personality. Um, yeah, that's true. This this mm-hmm. one dies, and they don't like, they don't try to like Dracula has risen from the grave. This thing where it's like, oh no, uh, yeah, Dracula's back. How do we get Dracula back? Um, mm-hmm. He was dusted by the sun, and then people, rich people, used Dracula dust as cocaine, and he possessed them, and now he's Dracula again, which is kind of the plot of one of those movies. It, was, it, it always was, um, feels like uh, t- taste the blood of Dracula. That, that was that taste one. the blood of Dracula. But like, it's one of those things where it feels like they're almost like challenging themselves. Like how difficult can we make it to bring back the monster? And let's just force the next screenwriter to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, in this one, they, I, I can't imagine they thought, you know, we're going to have a lot of sequel. We're going to, I definitely think it's hard to imagine that they'd imagine they'd still be making these movies in the 2020s. Uh, oh no, but, no. But so they, I think it's like they felt pretty comfortable closing the book on Godzilla. They basically melt Godzilla at the yeah. end of this thing. There's there's no good way to bring him back. However, they do leave an out, like one of the last things in the movie. And it's a very, like Ed Wood would end up doing stuff like this, where after Bela Lugosi fights the radioactive octopus and the radioactive octopus explodes in a nuclear blast and then people 20 feet away, you know, just go, you know, sort of tut-tutting the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And they say he tampered in God's domain. Um, the movie ends with someone pontif- pontificating. You know, we keep messing around with nuclear weapons and hydrogen bombs, and this is just going to happen again. Yeah, and yeah. that's what's going to happen eventually when we get to the sequel, which we'll get to next week. Um, Gojira was not... Gojira's a weird beast because it wasn't accepted terribly well when it initially came out and a lot of uh, according to reports a lot of the sort of appreciation of its depth didn't really come through until it was like marketed and, and screened overseas yeah like it was seen yeah. as just kind of an interesting kind of uh, a blockbuster kind of entertainment but much like Hitchcock films would only f- find artistic appreciation in France uh critics outside of Japan really glommed onto the imagery and really elevated it. Uh, But what's really weird is that as important as this film was, when this was picked up and screened properly in America two years later on, on a lot of screens, it wouldn't be this version of the movie. And not only that, that version, which would be, uh, uh, edited they would add uh, english-speaking characters uh, mm. into the movie uh that was the only version of the original godzilla that was available in the west for the most part until mm. like i think it was like the early 2000s that they finally uh, made was, the original gojira yeah. uh, properly available in in wide release and on home video well, i remember it happening and it being weird uh, it it's uh, it the original Gojiro did I think it aired on TV and I think it was available on VHS in the United States. It didn't get a theatrical release until yeah like two thousand four. It was a yeah. long time, and they and of course they cleaned it up and it looked really really nice. That that's uh, and that was the first time I was able to see Godzilla on the big screen, uh, not the Raymond Burr version, which was called uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters. 
I'm still not really hearing how Gogeta turned into Godzilla. Like, you really have to be trying to to move from the Japanese pronunciation to the American pronunciation. I, I really would love to know, like, I would love to have been in the room mm. for that one. Because, yeah, watching the movie... It, it sounds like Gojira, dude. It, it, it doesn't sound Gojira. Weird. Yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 pretty articulate. I I don't. Mm. It's not like it was like muffled in some way, yeah. or or screamed in the middle of like mm. you know like a huge bunch of explosions, and maybe you misheard it. It's a bunch of guy talking. It's just a dialogue yeah. scene. Well, like how do you, you screw that up? If you know anything about the Japanese language, you know you don't have to know a lot to know that there's no L sound in Japanese. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's just you know, there's there's like hard R's that are rolled, but there. If you're trying to to make a Japanese word into an American word, you don't use a, the letter L. Yeah, uh, I know there's some uh, not really controversy. Just people have pointed out that uh, Hikaru Sulu on Star Trek doesn't have a Japanese name. Sulu isn't a Japanese surname, but you know, uh, whatever. Yeah. Um. But anyway, uh, Gojira, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned, it's incredibly great. I think there's a, it gets a bit dry in the middle. I feel once we start introducing, uh, you know, sort of this mad scientist hold up in his basement, um, there there are some dry spots where the the action isn't moving forward very well. But we're introducing really important thematic things that do pay off later, and. The opening mystery is really awesome, and the closing devastation is really awesome. I think this movie is great, and I think this is one of the better... Certainly one of the better giant monster movies out there. And I think one of the better monster movies in general, because it's satisfying on this sort of primordial, you know, devastation angle that you talk about. Mm -hmm. But it really does feel genuinely potent. Like, there's a reason for this movie... To exist beyond, we thought it would be cool. Yeah, and yeah. it it does feel like intelligent and well thought out, and yeah, it's it's just one of those movies where you'll you'll see this movie, and if you just sort of skipped ahead and like you weren't really paying attention, and like oh I really like Gojira, I should watch another Godzilla movie, and then you like jump right into like all all monsters attack. <laughs> like, and you'd be where, like where did what this the come heck? from yeah how did we get here it would be like if you started with fast and furious and like jump straight to straight fast to... nine and like yeah. how did you you were stealing dvd players <laughs> are you what the hell is you, space now? you're in space now how did we even do this like it's just sort of it's kind of hard to like even process mm. the transformation that happened rather organically uh with the Godzilla franchise. And I'm really looking forward to seeing exactly how that happened, like from yeah. film to film. So I'm really, really stoked. Uh, mm. On the next episode of uh, Thank Godzilla, it's Friday, uh, which again, if you're listening to this on the main feed, is available on the Patreon page right now. If you're listening on the Patreon page the first week, this is the first episode. We'll catch up. Uh, we're going to be doing the sequel, which is Godzilla Raids Again. Mm hmm. In which Godzilla, and Whitney, correct me if I'm wrong here because you've seen this and I haven't. Okay. Raids again. Uh, yes. 
if you watch the uh, speaking of Hikaru Sulu, if you watch the American dub of Godzilla Raids Again, one of the pilots was voiced by George Takei. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, uh, he, he doesn't that's appear really in the movie, but but he did the American dub for it. Yeah. So uh, so we'll be covering that on the next episode of Thank Godzilla It's Friday. Thank you everybody for listening. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, again, if you're a member of our Patreon, you're going to get these episodes a week early. Uh, and if you're not, you can enjoy them right here. Uh, our Patreon page is patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, but uh, if you can't afford to uh, join up, uh, please don't forget to subscribe. We have a lot of other cool podcasts here at the channel. Uh, you can also We'd also love it if you left us a review. Uh, that really helps us find things in algorithms. Uh, if you want to talk about anything we discussed in this movie, do you know some interesting trivia that we weren't able to dig up? Do you have your own take on this movie? Were you around when this movie came out? We would love to hear from you. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. And we might read your email in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yes, it is an actual physical letter to uh, to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. And uh, you can find us on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, Whitney, do you want to you want to you want to take us out with your mightiest Godzilla roar? Oh golly, um, uh, no. That's fair. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll do it this time. Okay. Roar! Well done. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.